Yeah? Okay. For the whole Luke series. How many of you, this is your first week here? Oh, we never ask guests to raise their hands. Sorry. <laughs> a couple of you did. Okay, you're very brave. So, some, so that, I knew we would have that. I knew we'd have, like, I've been here for two and a half years, and we're celebrating, and I knew we'd have, this is my first week here, and I, I, what's so special? Congratulations. We had a two and a half year series through the book of Luke, and we finished it. And so the next, this week and next week, we're going to go through and see what did we learn? What stands out to us from the book of Luke? How are we different now that we've spent all this time following Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I learned a lot through this project. There were things that I learned, I was like, I didn't know that was in there, and I've read that. You know, Charlie last week spoke, and um, great job on the ascension, and he had an illustration that I want to continue this week. His illustration was so good, I need, to, I need to use it and continue it. He talked about John Maxwell, if you guys were here, and how he, he knew all about John Maxwell. He, he bought all the tapes, he bought all the books, he spent all the money, he got all the info, and he knew about his kids and his wife and his life and his leadership, but he didn't know John Maxwell. And I want to continue this illustration, but unfortunately, I just can't use John Maxwell, Charlie, because I knew him, and he knew me. But in my time in Atlanta, I'm sure, I'm sure in my time in Atlanta, at some point I was sitting there with him, and he said, there was this man in Anaheim who asked this question that marked me for life. So I just want to let you know, you made a profound impact on him. I can't talk about John, but I want to talk about another John, if you guys will allow me. You know, this John right here, he went to college in Stanford. He was drafted in the second round by the New York Yankees. First pick of the NFL, Baltimore Colts, and he never put on either jersey because he was traded to the world-famous Denver Broncos. This man won two Super Bowls, nine Pro Bowls, highest QB winning, like most victorious QB, and then also statistically second overall passing. He has many achievements, but I personally, I want you to know, I have some emotional moments with this John. You see, there were times when I was sitting down and I would jump up and raise my hands. In fact, there were times I praised John. I praised him. And I loved to talk about him and get happy with other people who liked him. It was big for us. It was a big deal. I defended John. If anyone ever had anything bad to say about it, I didn't hesitate to step up. My reputation did not matter. I was an evangelist for John and an apologist for John, and there were times, I want to be honest, I even cried. I would fall to my knees in disappointment as John and I experienced loss. <laughs> I remember one time in particular, 96, 7, 8, I stood with other grown men, hugging them as tears of joy streamed down our face. You see, I, I know John's stats, I know his information, I have some emotional moments with him but I do not know John Elway. I have never met him. I might know his stat line, but I don't know his sense of humor. I might know his info, but I don't know what makes him mad. I might know all about him in some ways, but I know nothing about him in some of the ways that matter most. And you see, for many of us, when it comes to Jesus, we might know the info, we might know the stats, we, we don't know him. We might even have had some emotional moments with him. You see, we might know his information. Okay, he, he was born on Christmas, he died on the cross, and he rose on Easter. That's what I know about Jesus, but I don't know him. Perhaps we even shed some tears about a movie about him or a, a testimony about him or perhaps we even had a moment of joy talking about him and, and raising our hands in a service, but we don't know the person. And as we've gone through Luke, it's our hope that we have come to know more than just the information that we've come to know more than just the stats. 
that we've seen more about who he is and that you've been challenged as we've gone through one book of the Bible to say, I want to know more about who he is. Because you see, today, as you get to know somebody better, in in a relationship you get this, as you get to know somebody better, you always have the chance, the opportunity to decide, do I want to continue moving forward in this relationship? Do I want to continue at every step of the way? And so today the question is this. We've been through Luke. Here we are. Do you want to re-up? Are you going to continue? Do you want to start? And so here's here's the thing. Whether you've been here for one day, and this is your first time in the orchard, or you've been here for six months or the entire thing, the question today is the same for every one of us. Will you follow Jesus? You see, as I was going through Luke, the theme that struck me over and over and over was this follow theme. Jesus said over and over to people, follow me. And people all throughout the book, we see them following him and stopping following him and starting to follow. The following was the theme that struck me. And and if we look at this term, follow me, it's found in every gospel about Jesus. He says it in every, they all record it. Follow appears 17 times in Luke, and by comparison, faith only 11. Now remember when Jesus says, follow me, and I'm referring to a lot of Luke teaching that I can't go, I don't have time to go back and review, but when Jesus says, come follow me, he doesn't just mean, hey, come walk behind me. A rabbi would say, come follow me. That means come be like me. Come be like me. Follow behind me and be like me. Learn to be like me. And this is the call of Jesus to this very day. He doesn't call you to come follow me to a bunch of rules. He doesn't call you to come follow me to come sit in a church once a, once a, month, once a week. He doesn't call you to, to, to come and try to measure up to other Christians. He calls you to something greater and grander than all that. He calls you to come be like me. Today, the call is the same. Come follow me. Come be like me. And so with these things in mind, let's look at the invitation that Jesus gave throughout Luke. And as we review Luke in this week and next, I want you guys to put, put your, your, your hats on, your, your thinking caps on, and if you have no experience with Luke, you're still good. Don't worry, okay? You don't have to have been through the whole thing. But there's some qualifiers to follow Jesus. Do you guys know the qualifications to follow Jesus? So we all have an idea of what it might be, but Luke seems pretty clear. There's some qualifications. First of all, the person had to know they are a sinner. And second of all, they had to bring their doubts with them. To qualify as a follower of Jesus, you have to know you're a sinner. You have to bring your sin and bring your doubts. Those are the qualifications. You see, those who claimed to to be sinless, they didn't follow Jesus. In fact, they resisted him. And we saw throughout Luke how the Pharisees and the religious elite consistently thought they were without sin, and they were appalled by the fact that Jesus hung out with people who were sinners. In fact, they call him a drunkard and friend of sinners. His reputation was a friend of sinners. Oh, the horror. Like they used that over him. The people who, and all the people we saw Jesus interact with, those who thought they were clean, that's who he had the most conflict with, right? Yes, not with me. Those religious people who were like, I don't know if I need that, those are the ones he had the conflict with. But those who knew they were sinful, Those who knew that they were addicted and broken and used, dirty, disregarded, disgraced, lustful, insecure, unclean, gossipy, angry, fallen, and far from God. Those are the ones we saw Jesus move towards and those are the ones we saw often follow him. In Luke 5 alone, we see three moments. This is right at the first of his ministry. Three moments. Jesus has three encounters. Boom, boom, boom. The first one with his leper. 
and he touches this leper. Now this is against every social etiquette. The leper would have to go through town yelling, unclean, 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 like a Raiders fan in Colorado, just unclean. <laughs> and when you see this, when you see this, you just, you, you, oh no, you know, you shy away lest it get on you. And, and in fact, you never touched a leper. And Jesus went up in Luke 5 and touched the leper and healed him. Right after that, a man is brought before Jesus and the man is so broken, he, is, he can't do anything on his own to follow Jesus. And Jesus looks down at this man who was lowered before him and he heals the man. And then right after that, Jesus, this is so funny, Jesus has the nerve to go to, the, to, go to a man who's a tax collector. Now a tax collector, this is the filthiest job in the culture. One who was universally reviled by their countrymen. A smutty man who exploited his own people and their families. Jesus walks up to this tax collector while he's in his own tax booth at work. He's doing the tax collecting deed. Jesus walks up and says, what does he say? Do you believe in me as your Lord and Savior? No. Excuse me, sir. Would you please shut down this establishment? Go change your life. Do some self-help. Clean up a little bit. And after you have done all the work to, to get to be a better person, you, you can come follow me. No. He walks up to this guy in his tax booth in the very lifestyle and says, follow me. That guy qualified to follow Jesus there as the smuttiest job on the planet at the time. You're good, okay? Most of you, you know? <laughs> he says, come follow me. In the very act of the lifestyle, his name was Matthew. And Matthew did end up following Jesus and authoring a book of the Bible. Listen, following Jesus is for everyone. It's for anyone who can admit they are sinful and lean into Jesus even with their doubts. And let me just say this clearly. This is the, the truth of this. I want you to hear this and know this. There is no sin. There is no addiction. There is no lifestyle that you're involved in that is so terrible to disqualify you from following Jesus. Nothing disqualifies you in that realm nothing. Whatever wars against your heart and your mind and your soul that condemns you and tells you that he is displeased and you are disqualified, you need to know that is not from God. That is not from him. In fact, he says the name of the enemy is called the accuser. And that is an accusation that you are unworthy, that you are disqualified, that you are disgraced, that you are used up, that you are too broken, your past is too big, you're too addicted, it's too much. That is an accusation from the enemy and it is a lie to keep you in bondage. Amen? If you have doubt and you have sin and you know it, you qualify to be a follower. If your belief system does not allow you to bring any doubts to Jesus, and if for some reason you feel that your sin is justified and small and okay, you're going to really struggle to follow Jesus. So Jesus invited these people. He invited the sinful and the needy and the doubting. But what were the reasons for following Jesus? Like, what did Jesus say to them? What was the carrot he hung out? It's like, hey, come follow me and you will. What, what, is, what does he tell them? It's interesting as we look at Luke, he never asked anyone to follow him so they could come be a better person. 
Do you know that? He never asked anyone to follow him so they could go to heaven, which blows my mind. Preachers, the two things we talk about when we try to get you to drop your old life are give your life to Jesus. He'll make you a better person and you get to go to heaven. That's not, G, that's not what Jesus, that's not why he invited people. That's why we invite people. It's really been, as a pastor, looking through this going, okay, so what did Jesus say? Now, now the truth is, when you do follow Jesus, yes, those are benefits. Eternal life is a benefit. And yes, as you follow him truly, you will find yourself more loving and forgiving and full of hope and compassion and strength and confidence. But that's not why he said, come follow me. Come follow me and you'll be a better person. Come follow me and you'll, you'll, you'll go to heaven someday. That's not what he said. So why do we follow him? This is so interesting. There's an end game in this. At one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he comes right out and tells them. And just as an aside, this message in some areas is gonna be very, very um, uh, convicting. And I just wanna remind us today that there is a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from God and it calls you towards him. Come to me. Condemnation is not from God and it makes you in shame go away from him. That is not of him. So we are looking for conviction today that says go toward Jesus. Go toward Jesus. Here in this section, Jesus is telling us what will happen when when his disciples follow him. And he says this. This is amazing. I am sending you out like sheep to the wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to stand. But when you are arrested, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it because at that time, you'll be told what to say. It won't be you speaking, but the spirit of God within you. Can you imagine this sermon? Can you imagine the invitation at the end? The, The band's playing. Raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus for floggings and arresting. I see that hand. I see you, brother. Can you imagine if this is how, he's telling his disciples, listen, he doesn't say, he doesn't say if. He's like, hey, listen, when you're arrested and when you're flogged. And here's the funny thing. I, I follow Jesus for the very opposite reason. I really do. I, I follow Jesus because I don't want to be, I don't want pain and suffering. I want him to help. T- I don't even know what flogging is, but just say the word flog. I don't want that. I don't want to be flogged ever. And so he's saying this is going to happen. I follow Jesus. A lot of us follow Jesus because we don't want pain and suffering. We want him to help us not have those things. But what an amazing passage. He tells them to be flogged, arrested, and brought before the court. But there's something hidden in here that is mind-blowing. He says this. He says this. When you follow me, here's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, the flogging and arresting. Yeah, that's the circumstances of life might go bad. But when it happens... Do not worry. (laughs) Okay? Like when you get flogged and when you're brought before the court, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Did you you catch this? No. I mean, it's hard to catch. It is. Apparently, one of the main things that we get when we follow Jesus is we get to stop living in fear. See, to be a follower of Jesus, we get to stop living in the fear of the circumstances, the fear of the pain, and most of all, the fear of other people. He says you'll stand before judges, but don't be afraid. 
And none of us are probably gonna be flogged or stand before a judge for our faith, but we will stand before somebody and you'll have a choice to speak up or not. See, you could be at a PTA meeting or you could be at a a wine and cheese pairing or a a sports game or a, a coffee shop and you will be in front of people and God will come up or faith will come up and instead of being shy and afraid and insecure about your faith and your reputation, you're a follower and you have what they had and don't worry, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'll help you with the words to say. One of the greatest things that happen when we truly follow Jesus, catch this, is we get unplugged from the matrix of fear. That's what what true followers of Jesus move towards. That no matter what comes my way, no matter what happens to me, God is with me. And we've seen these kind of people, haven't you? Have you been with people who get the diagnosis and they're like, you know what? God's not surprised by this. Have you, you met these people? They're real. Like real life happens to them and they're not just like disassociating or like trying to like to not admit it. Like they have a deep peace and rest about it. My mom says everything that comes to, everything that gets to me is, is father filtered. It goes through his hands first. And there are people that have, I've seen in my life that as they go through life, they're unplugged from the fear. People who follow Jesus increasingly walk without fear and life, and without fear of their reputation that they hold so dear. The Bible actually says that perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love, and as we follow him, and as we become more and more like him, and as that perfect love works within us, it works on us and works through us, and we find ourselves not so afraid of what life brings us, could bring us, or what our reputation could suffer. Following Jesus won't keep your life from pain and disease and death. It didn't even keep Jesus from those things. But it can give you something that is unattainable apart from him. True inner peace. Peace in the sickness, peace in the loss and uncertainty, peace in relationships that are hard or failing, peace in your finances and your reputation, peace in all ways. The Bible talks about it as peace that surpasses all understanding, that though your life be crumbling around you, you have something inside of you, resourced divinely, that, that goes beyond anything life can bring at you. Old Testament calls this the shalom of God. Following Jesus doesn't get us out of life's hardship, but it unplugs us from the anxiety and the fear that cripple us throughout our life. And see, many of us come to Jesus hoping that he will divinely smooth things out for us when it seems that Jesus wants to work divine things into us instead. Now, I know this is not the kind of Jesus that some of us want. I, I, get, I, I have felt this deeply. Like, I, I want Jesus to help me avoid bad things. We, I hope you've all been there. I've been there. Jesus, where were you? We talked about this a couple weeks ago in disappointment. I hope that you would heal this. I hope that you would not let this happen, and it did. And this is why many people follow Jesus, hoping he will smooth out their life, keep them from pain. And this is why so many are disappointed when life happens. And that's why this next verse is so convicting to me. Jesus says something startling to those who follow him. This is Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father. 
Many will say to me on that day, that end day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? And I will, say, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. It seems at the end that many who considered themselves to be Jesus' followers will find out that Jesus doesn't recognize them. And that is convicting to me. That's not there to scare us, that's there to sober us and ask us to consider our faith. Consider what we mean when we say, I believe in Jesus. Kyle Eidelman, an author, says, the biggest threat to the church today is people who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to get close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. And you see, here's the point, is that salvation costs us nothing. Jesus paid for that. Salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus doesn't cost us anything. The price was too high. We could not pay that. Salvation costs us nothing, but following Jesus at some point will cost you. Salvation costs us nothing, but following Jesus at some point will cost you. In other countries and cultures, it can cost your family, or even your life, but not here, not in our culture. But following Jesus and choosing to live the life that he asks could cost you some friendships because there are certain things you just cannot participate in anymore. It could cost you some reputation as you speak up when prompted to make your faith known. It, it, you may turn down a job. You may break off a relationship. You may not make a deal. Because in your heart, as you follow Jesus, you know that is not what a Christ follower would do. You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't have all the time to list all the ways that could cost us, but perhaps you've been in a moment when stepping up and speaking out about God and your faith would expose you, and you didn't do it. It's okay, it's hard. But in those moments, as we truly begin to follow Jesus, following Jesus costs us. And I want to say this. If following Jesus has never cost you anything, you need to seriously consider if you're actually following him. You see, for some of us, and not all, we've gotten close enough to Jesus to enjoy the benefits, but it hasn't cost us. We have come to, much like me and John Elway, we have come to mistake the knowledge of Jesus with intimacy with Jesus. We've assumed our admiration of Jesus was actually devotion to Jesus. We think our tipping is tithing and our serving is sacrificing. We view church not as who we are during the week, but where we sit on the weekend. We've come to believe that our good intentions are in some way good fruit, and we hope that information about him would lead to transformation. It's so convicting to me. So much so, I'm going to tell a joke. Ron White is one of my favorite comedians. <laughs> and Ron White tells this, tells this joke about how he's sitting in a beanbag in his underwear eating Cheetos, watching TV. Eating Cheetos, watching TV, and he turns the channel to a televangelist who's looking right at him. And the televangelist says, are you lonely? Yeah. Have you spent all your money on beer and bars? Yes, sir. Have you sullied your life with sins of the flesh? He's good. Are you sitting in a beanbag in your underwear eating Cheetos? Oh. 
Do you want to stand up and give me $1,000? Close. I thought he was talking to me there for a second. <laughs> you see, so close. You see, I laugh at that. But I have been in places where I have been severely convicted and found the wiggle room to get out. I have been in places where I am very convicted and found a way to justify and leave and go on living the same way I was. And so I want us to ask today, what is God bringing to your attention? Today, let's not find a way out because we could make a decision today, even just within our heart, that could change everything. And since we're reviewing Luke, I want to bring up Luke 9 where they just look at three, we're going to briefly look at, we're going to end with this, look at three people who wanted to follow Jesus. Luke 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever I go. What a bold statement. The man is talking a good game, and Jesus says, Really, you're gonna follow me wherever I go? He said, The foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I have no place to even lay my head down. It's a strange response, but Jesus has insight into this man's heart that we don't have. Jesus sees beyond the bold words and the, and the, and the good game and the and intentions to the heart of the man and he, he, he draws attention to the fact that this man loves comfort. And that when following Jesus gets uncomfortable, this gentleman is gonna bail. A true follower does not ever ask, how can I be comfortable while following? And if we're honest with ourselves, many of us may be following out of comfort. We're following Jesus when it's convenient. See, we have a, a comfortable faith that never risks. We don't take risks. We don't step up. We don't speak out. We have a convenient faith that we're around certain people at certain parties or certain places. We just turn the volume down. You see, we've made a lifestyle out of coasting in our faith, and we've called it Christianity. So I have to ask myself when I read this, is my relationship with Jesus went out of comfort and convenience or is there true commitment the man in verse 57 he talked a good game he talked about commitment but when Jesus painted a picture of what it looked like the man backed off you see many Christians have decided to believe in Jesus yet never committed to follow Jesus many Christians have made a decision to believe in Jesus but never committed to follow Jesus I've seen people who claim to follow Jesus say, God would really want me to be happy as they make a decision God would never want them to make. And I just want to remind us that Jesus' goal is not our happiness. Just like me as a father, my goal for my children is not happiness. That is not what I want them to achieve in life. That's not it. The goal for my children is, is that they would have great character, that they would know God's voice, that they would have integrity and purity, and that they would have the courage to do what's right when no one else will. And you know what I do when I, when I teach my kids these things, even though they're so young? I know that as they move forward and live on those values and they follow Jesus in that way, it's going to detract from their happiness and it's going to cost them in this culture. And so Jesus, a good father, is calling each of us to a life that has more weight and worth to it than happiness and more importance than comfort and more glorious than convenience a life of character and confidence that's born out of calling and conviction. That's what he wants. 
For some of us, we have fallen in love with the Jesus who think that he calls us to a happy life, but not a Jesus who asks us to come lay our life down. The second man comes up, and Jesus says, this is in verse 59, Jesus says, follow me. And he goes, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And it's just interesting, the first word out of his mouth after addressing Jesus is first. First let me go. The first thing this man does is put Jesus second. The man wanted to add Jesus onto his life. It's an addition. It's a compartment. Instead of giving his life to Jesus, he wants to add Jesus to his life. And one of the struggles I have really had at times is making Jesus just a compartment, just a part of my life. I do this over here. I do family over here. I do recreation over there. And I do church and work here. And for you, church and work might be different compartments, but I have different places. But following Jesus, truly following Jesus, is putting him first and foremost in our life. In your day, in your work, in your marriage, in your money, in your purity, Jesus first, above all and in all. Steve White used to always say, the one thing you can control is your priorities. The one thing you can control is your priorities. You can't control your circumstances and what's gonna happen to you, but you can control your priorities. And when it comes to my love and my time with Jesus, that's the one thing I can step into. The last guy, the final follower, still another said, Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family seems fine, right? Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. <laughs> this last one is especially convicting to me. This man claims that he will follow, but he wants to delay it a little bit. See, I believe that in our culture, one of the things that probably takes us out of a passionate faith faster than anything else is delayed obedience. Those of you who are parents, what is delayed obedience, actually? Disobedience. You see, for some, there, listen, for some of you, for some of us, there is something that we know God has asked us to do. There's something we know God has asked us to do. He may have asked it a long time of you, a long time ago of you, but it's hard, and it's a big risk, and it's only gotten harder now that it's been longer. And it scares you. So we put it off. For others, he has asked us to give up something, to lay something down. But it's hard. It's a risk. And it's scary to think of life without it. And so we put it off. See, for many of us, we have grand intentions of following Jesus. But there are sort of places in our life at the core where we are delaying doing the very things that he's asked of us. And in that delay of obedience, we cannot follow the way he wants us to. And so for some of us, the most paradigm-shifting, passion-filling, faith-bolstering thing we could ever do is go back to that thing that he asked us to do years ago, days ago, decades ago, and finally say, yes, I'm gonna do it. And for some of us, the thing that could change our lives is to go to that thing that he has asked us to put down, to set aside, we've been scared to, and finally get honest and do so. Orchard, we have big things ahead of us. Don't we, Charlie? We have big things ahead of us. A big calling a rad to radically transform this entire area. But could it be 
Could it be that one thing God is waiting on is the hearts of his people to truly follow Jesus in a new way? To finally stop putting things off that he's asked? You know, the disciples followed Jesus, and when they finally got it, as we'll see in Acts in, in, next month, in January, their passion and love spread like wildfire. It's time right now to pause and just ask yourself, am I truly a follower of Jesus? Not a follower of church, not even a follower of Christianity. Are you following Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Are you? With your priorities, with your obedience, above all things? My salvation was free, but following Jesus is going to cost me. Am I risking? Are you risking? Now, I know um, a message like this is not always the message we want. It's different, but I think it's the message that many of us need at the end of Luke. I think this is the question we need to ask at the end of Luke. Are we following the Jesus that we say we are? In a room this size, uh, there are some of you in here who, despite attending church your entire life and participating in Christianity, you might be coming to the realization that while you're close enough to enjoy the benefits of Jesus, you aren't actually following him, if you're honest with yourself. And today, he comes to you, like he said all through Luke, and he says, come and follow me. How will you respond today? Some in this room have followed Jesus, but perhaps he isn't first anymore. As it says in Revelation, he is not your first love. Perhaps there is a thing that he has asked you to do that you've delayed on or set aside and you have said no to. And today, once again, he comes and he says, come, follow me. And perhaps today you make the decision to make him the rightful king of your heart. Today you make the decision to say yes to that thing that you have been delaying, to say no to that thing that he's been asking you to say aside. And I would encourage you this, if that is you, you have to, to tell somebody. Go to your growth group leader, go to a friend and say, God has asked me to put this away for a long time and I've been afraid to, but I'm gonna be honest today. I need to change. And tell them, because you will leave this room and it will begin to leak. And by the time you're watching the Broncos versus Chiefs tomorrow, you will have forgotten that you were going to stop that and you will have lost the conviction that you were going to do that. So in the moment of communion, you go to somebody and you say, I'm finally going to do this. I'm finally going to set this aside and I need you to hold me accountable. Orchard, let's put some teeth to this. This is where the rubber meets the road of our faith. Let's be transformed people. And in the room this size, there's some of you who have never followed Jesus. For whatever reason, perhaps the reason you've never followed Jesus is because of Christians or our church has wounded you. Jesus is greater and bigger than all that and he calls you to a life that transcends all those things and he comes to you today and says, come, follow me. And so we end with communion. I want to remind you that we don't end with condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. That's a quote from the Bible. But as his conviction speaks to you today, my prayer all week has been that the Spirit would translate my words to your heart and you would at some point be cut and ask the question, am I following you, Jesus? And in his love, he would call you. And so as you come and you get the, the, 
the juice and the bread, the symbol of his body and his blood, and you hold that. Remember that he gave up his life for you, and he asks you to give up your life for him. The symbols of his sacrifice, the salvation that was free for you, and that he asked to come and follow him. Let's make, some, let's make some big boy and big girl decisions today. Let's choose to follow him in a new way, a new light. And we're gonna have people uh, up here praying. If you want prayer for somebody, or you prayer for yourself, go to your growth group. Go to somebody up here. Go to anybody, just a stranger who has it together. Ask them. But let's do some serious business today, okay? Jesus, we thank you that, um, that you call us each to follow me. And Jesus, I thank you most of all that you don't ask us one time. You asked me to follow you when I was five years old and I said yes. But I have messed it up time and time again. And every day, every moment, you ask me again, follow me. Father, we are never disqualified. Your grace and love covers all. And so I rebuke the the accuser from this room. I ask your spirit to speak clearly. And I pray, Father, that we would come to a moment where we ask ourselves, am I following you? And we take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.